May the words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. So I'm not sure how many of you have read the pew sheet this morning, but if you have, who spotted the deliberate mistake? I'm going to claim it as a deliberate mistake. And what is the deliberate mistake? Oh yes, that's a bad mistake, isn't it? Calling Rebecca Rachel. It's a worse mistake, given that my youngest daughter is Rebecca, and the spelling of her name is after the biblical Rebecca, so triply bad, but never mind. It was deliberate, I'm sure. Whatever her name is, and let's face it, I keep getting my youngest daughter's name wrong anyway, along with the eldest daughter. Uh, This Rebecca is a remarkable young woman. And I think we sometimes glide through this story without noticing just how remarkable she is. She is remarkable, for a start, because of the generosity she shows not only to strangers, but also to their animals. And clearly, showing generosity was part of that culture. But showing that same generosity to the animals was a step further than what was required. But not only is she generous, but she boldly agrees to go with the stranger to marry someone that she has never met, probably has never heard of, in a land she knows nothing about with no guarantees of what will happen when she gets there. She is clearly a remarkable person. Some might say a little foolhardy, but I'm going to hang up for remarkable. She saw an opportunity to have a different type of life than she and anyone else had been expecting, and she seized it. Now, there are people who belong to this parish who have made similar choices, who have come from distant places, mostly England, to live here. But when they came here, they did that knowing the person they were moving here for. They'd either knowing them them beforehand, or, uh, well, they'd always known them beforehand, sometimes years before, and sometimes um, when they were very young, moving out to join them. There are some remarkable stories in some of our Krishnas. But Rebecca did not even have that. And as a result of this courage and faith, an extraordinary union begins. The union between Rebecca and Isaac. Now when we read their story, we kind of take it for granted. This amazing story of Rebecca and Isaac. And we forget that the world that they lived in was a world where polygamy was the norm. It was expected. Now, polygamy makes some of us feel a little awkward, but in fact, polygamy offered protection to women. It meant that when your husband decided you were too old and that he needed a younger version or that he just needed someone who would produce more children or he just fancied that woman over there, you weren't cast out. You stayed part of that family system, playing a role in that family system, protected by that husband. Your place in the world was assured. But the biblical account of Rebecca and Isaac is that they were monogamous. 
There is no mention of other wives, concubines, slaves. There is no mention of children by other women. There are just two children, both from Rebecca. Jacob, who, if you know the King James Version, was a smooth man, and Esau, who was an hairy man. And that's it. And not only is their union unusual and startling, her decision is a key moment in the biblical story. Without it, all that follows, which is pretty much everything, doesn't happen. Well, not quite as it did happen. At this point, the promise to Abraham that he and Sarah will be parents to a multitude of people hinges on her decision, whether she goes or stays. I wonder if any of us would have the courage to make her decision. And I wonder what led her to make that decision. So what about us? If Would we make that decision? And if so, why? And if not, why not? And the kind of decision that we make to go or to stay, what does that reveal about what we hold dear in our lives? What leads us to make the decisions we make? And what motivates us to do the things that we do? What do our decisions reveal about what we're passionate about and what inspires us? I'm currently reading, well, listening to a book by Richard Raw. Richard Raw is an American Franciscan priest, a Catholic, uh, and he is a speaker and a writer about things spiritual, really. Uh, and a lot of people around the world find his work very helpful, sometimes inspiring. And this current book, not surprisingly, I guess, uh, is about, was exploring the life of St. Francis of Assisi, using the works of contemporary writers from a variety of fields to explore the notion of the art of letting go. And he began the book by exploring some of the key events in Francis's life and suggests, based on Francis's own writing, that he lived a life of penance. Penance is what shaped the decisions that Francis made. Penance is an interesting word though, isn't it? I wonder what that word evokes for you. What it is that you think about when you hear the word penance. I looked it up in some dictionaries and the definitions were a punishment undergone in token of penitence for sin or a penitential discipline imposed by church authority or a sacrament. If you read our prayer book, you'd find out that we call it a sacramental action. Please do not ask me to explain what that means. Richard Ward suggests, however, that for Francis, penance was none of those things. He says that for Francis, penance was making room in his life for God. Penance was making room in his life for God. 
which meant that he had to let go of everything that stopped God having that room. It also meant that he had to make room to see God in others. Raw says that Francis began to see God revealed in the lives of those that he would not even normally see and definitely would not want in his life. Those he feared and loathed and despised, those he disliked, those he wished he would have nothing or little to do with. People that we might describe as others. Francis, like Jesus, like us, lived in a violent world. He was the son of a new breed of person, the wealthy merchant class. These people did not have wealth in land as the nobility did, but they made their money through trade, and Francis's father made money through trading cloth. This was a brand new invention, making money from trade. And like all wealthy people and all wealthy groups, it was important to them that they protect that wealth. It was important to keep yourself and your wealth safe. And the best way to do that was with force. Raw says that Assisi was a city of layers. The higher you were in the city, the more important you were. And the lower you were in the city the less important and less wealthy you were. And it was important to keep those lower, lower actually and lower metaphorically, out of your life, unless you could make money out of them. It was important to keep those who were lower than you, to to protect yourself from those who were lower than you. Down on the plain lived the lowest of the low. The minor people, the peasants, and the lepers, the lowest of the low. All those who were deemed to be particularly unsafe, cast out, feared, loathed, abhorred. And Francis, like everyone else, feared and loathed them, particularly the lepers. There was no room in his world for them. He and God had no time or any compassion for them. Until one day, as he rode past the leper hospital on the plain, he heard the bell of a leper. He moved to the side of the road, as he always did, and he covered his mouth, as he normally did, and he looked the other way, so he did not even have to see or smell these foul creatures. But this time... This time he could not ride past. Instead he felt compelled to stop, to dismount, and to physically embrace and kiss the leper. Filled with fear and loathing, filled with revulsion, filled with wonder. Francis gave money to the leper, returned to his horse and rode on, revolted, Elated, changed. His closed world had been ripped open and his life of penance had begun. He began to make room 
for all kinds of people. People he would not have seen in the past. In the end, he was forced to renounce all his possessions because, well, to own anything meant you had to protect it from others, which meant you had to see them as other and you had to use violence against them. And he was not willing to do that. So he removed the barrier. And he moved down the hill from his father's house to the lowest places, to the plain. And all those who wanted to join him were invited to live as one of the poorest. Even their name, OFM, says that they are amongst the poorest. We read that as Order of Friars Minor, missing the point of the minor. The minor means the poorest. They were the order of the poorest friars, living amongst the poorest, working among the lepers, learning to make room for all, all people, even lepers, even in the time of crusades, Muslims, even refugees and the poorest beggars. And Francis soon learned that all creation, all creatures, spoke of God to him. In all of these, he learned to see God, to meet God. The rest of his life was about making room for God, seen in all, and letting go of everything that stopped him making room for God, seen in all. All his decisions were made so that that could happen. So what inspired him? All people, all creation inspired Francis. They reflected God to him, and he saw each loved by God. And rather than protecting what was his, he sought the common good, a world where all were honoured and all were blessed as children of God. As I drove home on Friday night, I was listening to Pray As You Go. Pray As You Go is a website that offers little 10-minute podcasts each day, a time of reflection and prayer uh, based on the, one of the Bible readings in the, in the lectionary for that day. Uh, it comes out of somewhere foreign, Scotland or Ireland or somewhere. They all have crazy accents. And uh, it's just a nice way of spending a time in prayer and you don't have to do any work. It just comes through your whatever you're listening to. And on Friday, the story was of Uh, from Matthew of Jesus going to the home of tax collectors and the response of Pharisees. The person who was leading the reflection asked, if we were to be sitting at the table, at this table with Jesus, who would we feel uncomfortable with if they were at that table with you? Who would you not want to be present Sadly, I could name some people. No one in this parish, I hasten to add. But people who I don't like, I'd rather not spend any time with. And then we were invited to wonder what Jesus was saying to us. And I wondered how I might welcome these people. Except part of me wanted to say, do I have to? Really? Do I have to welcome these people? 
I kind of like not liking them. I suspect Francis is telling me, yes, you have to invite these people too. You have to let go and make room for God. We began this morning with the inspiring story of Rebecca, not Rachel. And we suggested, and I suggested, that she offers us an example of someone who embraced the possibility of a different world. And here we are now with Francis, who also embraced the possibility of a different world, a radically different one from the world he lived in. The people in his world were largely motivated by the need to preserve what was theirs from, one, from, from others. Who, from others. And the people of this world ah, see, there you go, were largely motivated by the need to preserve what was theirs through any means necessary. And they saw all those who might damage this world as contemptible, deserving of whatever was needed to be done to keep them at bay. And they did some pretty horrific things. Francis, in contrast to that, decided each day to embrace all to himself, to embrace all as brother and sister, and was willing to share all that he had with them. And he called this, embracing all people, a life of penance. This was not an easy calling, not an easy life. People abused him. And if we follow to the extremes he did, people will abuse us too. Today, our gospel reading, in our gospel reading, Jesus finishes with, word, with words which are very familiar. In fact, they're so familiar, they're really hard to read from a version in our Bible because they are slightly different from what we're used to in our prayer book. And they are words of promise offered to those who decide to live a life of penance. In the, pro- in the reading we are promised, if we are tired and carry a heavy burden, to come and we will find rest. We are also promised that we will be yoked, which, to be honest, doesn't sound that inspiring, but we miss the point that oxen are yoked in pairs, To be yoked with others like us, it means to be yoked with Jesus himself. Once Francis' eyes were opened by the leper, he actually found the life of penance easy. He found the yoke of Jesus easy. And he called the hardest times perfect joy. Like Rebecca, Francis trusted. And all the decisions he made were based on that trust. So, what motivates us in the decisions we make each day? What stops us making different decisions? Who might be our leper? And what does it mean for us to live lives of penance?
invite us to spend a moment reflecting on those questions.